Thank you. I'm so grateful to be uh, with you all. I'm Cynthia Figge, co-founder of CSR Hub and Ecos International. Uh, this summer, I celebrated my seventh anniversary with Sustainable Brands, and this is my first new metrics, and I love it. <laughs> um, I'm happy to kick off our discussion on new metrics for trust, reputation, and brand value. Our panel will first focus on three key issues that we hear from the community. Each of us will take a turn addressing these issues, and we'll turn it over to you to then reflect on the rich dialogue of today and open it up to any questions that you may have. And first, I'm going to just reflect on the movement uh, along this metrics continuum. Much of our current activity is focused on developing standards and measuring what matters to sustainability within the corporation and across the value stream. Here, serious companies are measuring against current expectations for CSR reporting. And, and many companies uh, have not even made this first step in the continuum, particularly small and medium-sized businesses and those that are privately held. Next in the continuum is determining and measuring how companies can compare their performance and match what's important to their customers and stakeholders to sustainability. And then further on the continuum, companies need to develop capabilities and drive new behaviors to increasingly meet these defined needs of customers and stakeholders with sustainability. And metrics are required to drive sustainability at this stage sustainably and preferentially. And then finally, I think uh, sustainab sustainability is promoted by learned traits driven by the social and physical environment. And I think we're seeing phenomenal potential and change in our young people. We haven't talked much about that yet today. Um, so further along the continuum, are companies creating new, a new vision, and they're actually really creating new customer demand and value by affecting the attributes of the company that will differentiate itself and make the world sustainable. And I think there was a little talk about companies like Tesla that are essentially shaping demand. So I'm going to kick off uh, with these three questions. First is, um, these are very big, and uh, so I'll just take a, a, a moment to, to address the first one. What is the biggest currently unmet need in tracking trust, reputation, and brand value? What I hear often uh, as someone who does uh, a lot of, has created a big data set um, of now over 37 million data elements covering 8,000 companies, what I hear from managers, advisors, and stakeholders is once you have a sense of where you are um, and your benchmark, how do you develop the capabilities and behaviors to meet the needs of customers and stakeholders and their expectations? Um, with sustainability. So I think that this frontier is really about best practices for in, uh, improvement in performance and collaborative relationships. And we need a means for disseminating uh, and sharing this learning. I think also the current tracking measures could benefit from an integration of data sets at, that bring together these very different and disparate views of employees, we've talked about uh, 
customers, stakeholders, investors, other stakeholders uh, within and outside the corporation that may have different points of view. So there's no one sort of measure. There's no one perspective. So we need a means for tracking that allow these differences. Our second big question is, what co-creative efforts might solution and data providers engage in to improve the scope and usefulness of existing metrics or create new ones? So this is also a huge question. Um, I think an exchange of best practices, obviously, is very hard to do when owning and keeping knowledge uh, and the proprietary advantage, strategic advantage that it gives your company is so important. Um, as Amy Hargroves of uh, Sprint mentioned in her breakout, uh, the tension between a consumer's need and desire for, for uh, transparency might be very different from the supply chain's desire for privacy. So we have this tension built in. So I, I think that um, perhaps some co-creative efforts might be occurring in educational programs, uh, industry associations pushing the envelope, um, Co collaboration uh, within the within the enterprise. I think um, we've heard all sorts of uh, very creative solutions today. But just uh, opening up this exchange and sharing, I think, across um, big data sets will improve the scope and usefulness of these existing metrics. Our third question is: What can brands do right now or in the future to stay ahead? At Sustainable Brands this summer, I released some uh, groundbreaking research that we performed at CSR Hub to prove uh, that the relationship between brand strength and sustainability is now uh, a phenomenal uh, 28%. Uh, this is extraordinarily exciting. It's the highest we measured, at least uh, that we looked at in the last five years. It doubled in from the previous four years to 2012. We uh, looked at a thousand companies, uh, along with brand finance, in London, to 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 understand this correlation. And as I mentioned, some of the factors that drove uh, this, uh, the highest correlations in uh, along 12 subcategories, were first uh, environmental reporting, which I think you could anticipate, but. The other highest, uh, three highest correlated subcategories were all employee issues. Um, and so I think to stay ahead, um, it's, it's one, uh, one piece of advice is that employee treatment, training, learning, and engagement are crucially important in creating brand value. Um, and as uh, Dave Stang has talked about as well, using a sustainability index that integrates uh, data within the company that is fact-based and drives change across functions uh, and promotes collaboration is, is uh, fairly key in staying ahead. So that's my kickoff, and I'll turn it over to, to Amy. For uh, Each of us will get, give a stab at these questions, and then we'll open it up. Thank you, Cynthia. Um, and thank you all for hanging around. Not long for the bar yet. Um, I think what I'd love just the opportunity just to highlight um, kind of just briefly what are, so my name is Amy Dupont, Havas Media Group, and just to, just to highlight a little bit from this morning about the, the core essential requirements that we see are really important today. 
And first of all, we'd really encourage us all to take a step back and have a, take a holistic approach to well-being. Beyond just the perhaps more linear prior definition of sustainability, it's about a holistic perspective that goes beyond the core product and service and thinks about personal well-being as well as collective well-being. And so by that I mean what are, the things that, what are those things that really make a tangible, concrete and authentic difference to us as individuals? If we remove price parity, what would make me buy a different product? What would make me buy this product that's greener? You need to tie, we need to tie this back to my own personal needs and my personal desires to have a better life, to have a life that matters and a life that makes a difference. So by taking this holistic perspective that is tangible and concrete, we will be able to achieve superior business performance and we will be able to achieve better marketing results. And it is the responsibility of all of us in the room in our different areas to think about reframing the role of marketing. Marketing has so much power to make this difference and it's in our hands to do so. So, meaningful brands making a meaningful difference both to people, to citizens, to communities and the planet. And if we can think about the three questions... Um, so, what is the single biggest um, current unmet need? So, I'm, I'm not always very good at following instructions, so I'd like to sort of reframe that question <laughs> a little bit. Um, and I think it's perhaps something that I haven't heard come up as much yet as perhaps one of the core challenges when we think about the role of doing good in business. And it's the time frame with which we evaluate our success. And Unilever is a great example of starting to redefine that time frame. Why don't we all think about exploring different time frames in which we can benchmark our success measures? Because if we're always fighting for these weekly sales figures, the monthly brand success measures, are we ever going to achieve long-term success? because the short-term goals are not always connected to those long-term, meaningful business ambitions. And the second question, what uh, co-creative efforts could we, could we employ? Um, I think there's an opportunity for us to take a, take a step back and think about what is at the root of this, what would motivate us to move forwards and be more collaborative together. And it's, it's been bubbling up if we've been talking about what will motivate employees and, and stakeholders and people to get involved, is if we find that commonality, those shared values, with businesses in the same category, with complementary categories, what is it we're trying to solve for together? And then let's think about collaborating to solve for that core challenge and that core need. And then obviously we have these fantastic forums, as we are today, that is the start and hopefully the continuation of more conversations and actions. And what can we do to, to stay ahead? Um, I'm always about being provocative and saying things that are inappropriate. Uh, but uh, perhaps it's about sort of putting aside old ways of doing things or current ways of doing things and just spending half a morning a day ideating about new ways or ways that we can reframe, 
Why are our business measures and our scorecards and our KPIs always structured as so? And this is what we've been doing year on year. Why are our budget planning sessions always starting in September for 2014? Why don't we just press pause, take a step back, and think about reframing the way we're doing things? And is there another way that we could test to see if it leads to something different and something that has more of a positive impact? So reframing, redesigning, remodeling, it's all, it's all within our hands and within our grasp today. Thank you. So, good afternoon, everybody. I'm hoping if I do a really good job, the uh, president of the university is somewhere here, and I'm going to get a degree conferred on me. Um, so, uh, let's see what happens. It is a particular pleasure, actually, to be invited to uh, speak uh, at this conference, because we've actually just hired somebody who's just graduated from this university. Um, so... Uh, uh, that, that's uh, kind of nice to close the loop. So my name's David Metcalf. I'm the CEO of Vedantix, and we're an independent analyst firm uh, conducting research on energy, environment, and sustainability. So it's been nice to see a few familiar faces here. Um, I think in terms of answering these questions, I just wanted to have a short preamble. So um, we do look at these longer time frames, and you know, we feel that the uh, narrative that we all use uh, to talk about these issues is starting to change. And so if you go back to the Rio Earth Summit in 1992, that really triggered a whole paradigm when we were talking about beliefs, values, and fundamentally voluntary actions. We actually feel now that we're moving into a new paradigm where there's more talk about material risks, there's more talk about opportunities, and most importantly, therefore, there's more talk about money. And that, I think, is critical uh, in terms of the type of new metrics uh, that we may be uh, using in the future. And I think there's a great example um, in one of the earlier breakout sessions from SAP uh, where they're integrating their sustainability uh, data, their non-financial, with their financial data. So this is really happening. So, you know, what are the unmet needs for, for metrics? Well, I'm going to do a comparison between what industrial firms do and what consumer firms do. So, you know, industrial firms, through their EH&S reporting, will talk about fatalities. Right. How many fatalities we had at work, you know, in a year. And, you know, in some cases, this could run into dozens of people. I mean, what could actually be worse than that? Um, talking about injuries... Uh, talking about industrial accidents and incidents, right, where you have to shut down a whole plant. I mean, these are all really bad things. Um, there are some consumer brands, like Apple, who also, I would say, disclose and have metrics on things that we would all consider bad, like how many of their suppliers use child labor. Um, and before we published our, our benchmark report on the consumer electronics sector, I really quizzed our analysts that I do not want to be called by the general counsel at Apple uh, saying that that, that that data is wrong. So they're disclosing this. And I think one of the sets of metrics that a lot of consumer-facing firms need to consider are looking at those negative metrics, right? Because that is what is material to your business. It's all very well to be a global bank that gives $50 million dollars uh, to various charities, but what if you then get prosecuted and have to pay an $800 million fine for money laundering? Now, I would say that's a materialist issue, 
And I actually think that should be included in your sustainability reporting. The one other thing uh, that I think has come out as a theme today is a lot of these metrics needs to be at the level of a business unit, not at the level of the corporation. And a lot of, we see a lot of stalled programs right now because people think of this as a top-down uh, program and framework, but actually what you see happening is the business unit leaders say, we're not interested, and the metrics you're trying to put on us are not actually relevant to our business and our P&L. So I think a big change uh, would be uh, required. So the second question was more about collaboration and what are the new uh, metrics that we could create by working together. And, and I think this uh, actually goes to you know, how we see some programs get accelerated. How do you get more money? Um, and it kind of goes to the point of hidden risks. Um, and this is where I think the sort of where all of the people involved in ratings and rankings and the CSR hub databases uh, perform a critical uh, role. I mean, we've seen, uh, for instance, a telecoms client where they could not get their sales team and their marketing managers to, to integrate sustainability into their work. This was going on for a, you know, two, two and a half years. And then finally, and, and, and this seemed a bit, a bit of a weird thing to say, but the head of sustainability, who is also head of brand for their uh, enterprise uh, telecoms business, said, we lost a $150 million bid. Not, not just lost, but we weren't even permitted to bid for it, for, for, the, for the contract. And he just got inundated with people asking for help, you know, being asked to train up on how do they incorporate energy, environment, sustainability issues in their bidding process um, because the reason they weren't allowed to bid was because the bid team didn't have enough information and hadn't bothered to respond to some uh, customer questions about it. And so I think there are all these hidden risks. And the more that we can take a customer-centric view of sustainability, the more we are actually going to um, have the metrics that we need to accelerate programs. So, you know, a great way of doing that would actually be to have people um, kind of pull their information on what number of your customers across the industry are actually looking for that data. And then to wrap up, you know, how can brands stay ahead? I think uh, Amy made, made a fantastic point about it's a time frame issue. Um, so, you know, one of the other things that is worth thinking about in terms of staying ahead is uh, where does your sustainability strategy sit relative to other strategic decisions in the business? And just think about that for a while. I bet in many of your organizations, you have a corporate strategy you have a business strategy, and then you figure out what the sustainability strategy is that serves the needs of business and corporate strategy, right? So the interesting thing is what we actually see is because the time frame for sustainability is so much longer, you should start with your sustainability strategy because you're looking 10, 20, 30 years ahead, and then the corporate strategy and business strategy should fit underneath that. And I think that's particularly interesting in terms of how does your brand, therefore, you know, stay ahead on this agenda? Because I think you have to get into thinking about the scenarios of where your customers are going to be in two years' time, three years' time, four years' time. Because, of course, a lot of the investments you need to make in product stewardship, 
in positioning the company brand and product brands uh, are going to take years uh, for you to complete successfully. And we've definitely seen that in a number of sectors like grocery retail, for instance, um, especially in Europe. Um, but also I think there have been numerous examples of th some of the thought leaders in different industries uh, today. So hopefully I've answered those questions well, and I will look for the president uh, to uh, give me my degree. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for giving uh, me the opportunity to speak. My name is Dennis Reiney from Brand Logic, and I'm sorry I got here a little late today, so I missed some of the uh, earlier sessions, and there might have to be a little bit of repetition in what I'm about to say. But if the challenge is to finish in five minutes, I'm going to try to do four things very, very quickly. Very briefly, tell you about our sustainability leadership report, then answer the three questions. And if I can do that in five, boy, that'll be a tremendous feat. So, um, you know, I'm a brand professional. I've been doing it for about 20 years helping large companies figure out how to position their brands, how to change their brands, how to set their brands up for the future to reflect their new business strategies. And about three or four years ago, our firm, Brand Logic, got interested in the whole subject of what is the impact of sustainability on branding, not just reporting and not just sort of the public relations side of things, but what does it mean to the core central brand of a corporation? And we looked around and saw a lot of rankings and ratings, which are great, which are fantastic. But we wanted to create something a little different. We wanted to create a management framework to help leaders of, of corporations figure out if I make investments in sustainability on the so-called reality side, um, how am I being perceived on the other side? And how do we bring those two things together? And it was our, I guess, hypothesis that the unique combination of being a leader on the reality and a leader in perception is the sweet spot, is the place you want to go. And we just didn't find any other data sources that sort of answered that question for folks. So we, two years ago, uh, set out to build this, the uh, Sustainability Leadership Report, and I've got copies if anybody wants, and of course it's on our website. Um, very quickly, without getting into a lot of methodological detail, essentially we looked at 100 leading brands in the world, and we picked brands where the corporate brand is equal to the product brand. So we didn't pick a Unilever or a General Motors because you get the obvious confusion of is Cadillac sustainable versus General Motors. So we picked companies where the brand and the product are the same. And then we uh, partnered with CRD Analytics, a reputed um, sustainability analytics firm, to get the reality data and created a vertical axis where we ranked the 100 companies on their reality scores. And then on the perception side, we did something very different from what Amy and, and other, some other firms have done. We didn't look at end-to-end -end consumers and we didn't even look at sort of opinion leader consumers. We looked very close in at audiences that the corporation tries to manage, namely investors, people who, who make professional investment decisions, supply chain executives, people who work with these companies every day, and finally, uh, university graduates as a proxy for the next generation, the war on talents. So we wanted to look at what we called highly attentive uh, audiences, people who are attentive to sustainability issues. Um, and again, what we've come up with is a management framework that we, we've, we've heard and we've learned that many companies are starting to think about the way they manage their sustainability investments in this way. Not So bringing together the reality side and the perception side and trying to find a way to lead in their respective uh, marketplaces. And again, the data is online and I won't go through it all here, but just two little factoids which I found fascinating coming out of the, uh, coming out of the study, which is we found, for example, that when you look at ES and G factors, that social is actually twice as important to those audiences than the environmental and governance uh, scores. And then a second interesting little factoid, 
which kind of proved to us that we picked the right audiences, is that the 88% of those audiences, the, um, uh, the three I mentioned, make their decisions or strongly influence their decisions based on sustainability versus, and I don't know about Amy's study in particular, versus some other consumer studies where, frankly, the decisions are only in the 2 or 3% range. So a really wide discrepancy in terms of the importance of sustainability performance to these decision makers. So again, I'll stop there on the report, happy to talk about it a little bit more. Now let me try to answer these questions um, regarding the unmet need, I think is a, is a great one. You know, our report is just another piece of data in the marketplace. I don't think anybody's come up with the unified field theory, uh, which in, if I could snap my fingers, I think corporate executives would also like to be able to snap their fingers and, and, and have a data set that could answer for them. If I do the reality side right, and I've got all my perception lined up, my audiences believe what I'm, what I'm doing, how then can I make further investments that will influence purchase my products, increase loyalty, and ultimately drive shareholder value? So how do I tie this sustainability area, both reality and perception, to real hard business metrics? And we don't have the answer. I'd love to know if anybody else out there has the answer. But we think that's the gold standard or nirvana, the next step, that I think you know, our study answers maybe a little part of that, uh, that question. Uh, the point about co-creation. Um, I'm kind of a big fan of, of co-creation methods. Um, I, have, uh, I have some colleagues in the marketplace. And I, um, I actually wrote an article, which is on our site, and if anybody's interested, um, as an outgrowth of the integrated workshop that Bob Eccles ran a couple of years ago up at Harvard, namely the notion that there are now co-creation, or some people call them crowdsourcing technologies, where you can involve not just hundreds but thousands of stakeholders in a social media-like forum in which they can contribute to the dialogue, they can be engaged with, and certainly that same process can be turned internally for a big company to engage the internal workforce, and IBM calls it, for example, the JAM process. You can engage the internal workforce around having the employees contribute to and think about and reflect on the, uh, the company's sustainability commitments and what it really means to them in their jobs. I just came out of a session uh, earlier about employee engagement. I think this, we didn't talk about, this is one tool that I think can add more connective tissue to linking the company's sustainability efforts to the everyday uh, jobs of various employees. And then finally, and I'm thinking about a minute, only a minute over, so I'll go quick. Uh, <laughs> um, the point about staying ahead, and I think it may have been referred to in the prior session, but one of the best practices that we've observed and we've talked about is you know, we think the, the best way for a company to achieve, achieve sustainability leadership, again, reality and perception, is to bring the sustainability message directly into the primary channels of persuasion. So directly into, if you're an old school company, advertising and marketing and everyday product sales, and not have sustainability simply as in the PR department with a great report and, you know, satisfying the, quote, sustainability community only, but rather to drive it right down the middle into the primary means of communication that becomes an integral part of the brand. And people like IBM, I think Cisco's done a great job, GE, not a lot, but some have really decided to go big time and take the sustainability message directly to the marketplace through their primary means of, of communications. So I'll leave it there. I hope that was helpful, and uh, love to take your questions. Okay, thank you. Um, it's great to hear this, and 
now we're going to open it up, and we'd like to any questions that you might have for for us as panelists, um, or even observations that you have about what you heard earlier today, and and really, um, if you have also some thoughts on these three big questions as well. If you so, instead of a question, you have an answer. If you if you'd like to contribute on on these uh, with your ideas, we're opening it now, and we'll. Would anyone be available to run around with a mic? Yeah, we have them. Oh, good. Okay, yes. And uh, please, of course, say, say your name. Hi, my name is Sarah Drexler. I'm a graduate student here at Penn, and I also work on sustainability metrics for FMC Corporation. Um, my question is primarily for David Metcalf, but I would be happy to hear what the other panelists have to say. Um, so... All of these metrics that we're talking about today, um, you know, I'm very interested in everyone's opinion on the panel, specifically David, about your opinion about trends in external assurance for these metrics. Um, I know that Verdantix does a lot of research on this on this topic, and um, many companies in the room are getting a lot of their metrics externally assured already, um, whether they be in their sustainability report or otherwise. Um, and then with the rise of investors making decisions on some of the sustainability data, um, you know, this being included on the Bloomberg terminal with ESG data, um, I'm just very interested in what you see as the trends and if there is, we know that's a, it's a very expensive and um, time-intensive process. So I'm curious if you think that there is significant value added from assurance. Thanks. Sure. Um, thanks, thanks very much for the question. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I think ultimately the direction of travel has to be towards the, the metric being money. Um, and, and so, I mean, you know, we're doing a lot of innovation in this community around new metrics. Um, if there was a price on carbon, then we wouldn't really need to do that, right, because um, the CFA would be responding already uh, in, in a way that, you know, Microsoft are talking tomorrow about, you know, some of the metrics that they're applying around carbon. So, um, I mean, to, to tackle the question of assurance, um, if we all believe that we are entering into a new paradigm of, you know, business performance where we're looking at materiality of risks and opportunities tied to the whole range of sustainability metrics, then, you know, assurance of that data becomes paramount because as the board gets more involved, as they see this as management information for which they use to make decisions, as opposed to an annual sustainability report that goes to us um, and not many other people, um, then you know, assurance of that data is, is absolutely critical. And I think uh, there are many experts in the room who've probably looked at different data sets you know, from CDP or GRI, and you realize you know, they would not pass muster if that was, you know, financial uh, quality data. So I, I would absolutely encourage people to um, take a cost-effective approach to assurance. Um, I'm Carmen Perez from CCP, and um, we are keen on learning the best practices around measuring business impact of corporate responsibility to bring back to our corporate members. And as a disclaimer, I'm not from a marketing or brand background, but in the spirit of reframing, a lot of what we hear around measuring brand value is on surveys, um, surveying perceptions of different audiences. Are there other ways to measure brands, um, innovative things that you've seen out there that you could share? Well, in, in this um, abundance of data world that we live in, um, particularly in, uh, in a market like the U.S., where we're talking real time, 
real-time marketing, real-time optimization. There, there is so much data that we have available. Um, social data is increasingly, a, a, no, social listening data is increasingly a good indication on consumer perceptions. And I think there's a, there's a main, op the, the core opportunity for us is to look within our business world and start to decipher which of these meaningful data sets that we can use to identify the weak signals. Because rather than just having all these different data sets just streaming in and we're like, well, I can't even understand the color coding of the report. Um, it, it's really an opportunity for us to sit down with core teams to work out which is the data which is telling us something that we could then use to best decision from. Yeah, um, just to add a couple things, you know, and I think, again, we, we look at it sort of the other end of the spectrum from Amy, Amy from Consumers Back, and we tend to look at the closer end audiences. But, um, you know, th this is well-worn territory. There are a number of companies that track reputational data, like the Reputation Institute and Core Brand and the Trust Barometer from Edelman. And um, in, in talking to a couple of them recently, they actually find very that, that CSR performance is a very small part of an, a company's overall reputation in general. I'm talking very generally. It depends how you ask the question and the context, et cetera. Um, but um, uh, I don't know if I answered your question, but th those are just a few sort of general reputation tracking studies that do take a look at the impact of CSR broadly defined on, uh, on, the, on the brand. And then brand value you asked for, Again, a long subject I won't go into uh, too much, but there is a very well-defined uh, set of um, standards around how you value a brand financially, um, and there are a couple of competing ways to look at it. I think Cynthia mentioned earlier brand finance, a company called Core Brand does it as well, uh, and Interbrand. So they put a monetary value uh, on brands. And I think, I think in general corporate executives look at that and say, that's, that's interesting, that doesn't help me change my marketing mix day to day. It's interesting to me if I'm selling my company because I can put a value on my asset if I want to sell it. But but those kind of uh, financial metrics really don't help you day to day kind of turn the dials on your marketing mix, I, I don't think. I mean, may, may, maybe I can just add to that, although I'm aware I'm flanked by two of America's greatest uh, brand experts. So uh, <laughs> I feel a little bit... I didn't uh, pay him for that either. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, I think one of the other angles in terms of how do you make the connection between your sustainability performance and, and the brand and, you know, the, the ROI um, is definitely around brand risk. So, um, you know, we, we've seen... If, if you look at, say, the journey that Apple has been on over the last four to five years, it's quite amazing how they've transformed their ability to disclose on material issues the willingness that they've, you know, gone from being actually very quiet on this to being a real leader, I think. If you look at what happened to Facebook... Um, before they listed, before they did their IPO, because they're a private company. So they sit there saying, well, we don't have to talk about this. And then suddenly, you know, there's this big realization that actually you're disclosing a lot more and you cannot be like that. And, and they have moved very, very quickly. And I think that is all about, you know, a kind of brand risk. And there are lots of examples of environmental NGOs getting on somebody's case. And that is, I think, the number one fear um, for a lot of people in environmental compliance that, um, you know, their brand is going to be attacked um, and they'll have to react very quickly. And, and, and so I think that, that very quickly, you know, you don't have to go through multiple meetings. Um, the executives will line up pretty quickly to, to fix the problem. So, um, yeah, Joe Brewer, back here from Darwin SF. 
Um, for anyone who's interested in different ways of thinking about brands, I'm happy to talk to you separately about meme research and cultural evolution, but I won't go into that now. Um, I wanted to take that term new metrics a little more seriously and um, first mention for those of you who may be familiar, a wonderful book a couple of years ago came out called Spirit Level where it was found that the number one social measure to apply to all major ills or benefits of a society was income and wealth inequality. There's a lot of income and wealth inequality, then all bad things in a society are bad and they're chronic. And if there's a healthy, minimal amount of income inequality, uh, then you have thriving, prosperous societies. And so I'm wondering um, how we might broaden our discussion to deal with the fact that not only are we talking about sustainability, but we have the most unequal world, financially speaking, in the history of humanity. And there's a real need, as we saw from things like the Occupy movement, a real need for several billion people to have that reconciled by the corporate world. And they are asking for it. And it's part of that breakdown in trust that is so evident in all of our governing institutions, including corporations. So I'm wondering, how could we broaden this conversation to think about new metrics like how can businesses participate in creating thriving, prosperous societies? And that includes, in particular, the structuring of the distribution of wealth. That's a, a great question. I just, do you want to? Uh, thanks for that question. I think it's... Um, Something I've been increasingly looking for, we, uh, CSR Hub aggregates over 270 uh, ratings, sources, uh, nine, we license nine. One of those nine is from Governance Metrics International, which merged with Corporate Library, and they have a measure now that looks at compensation. Um, and we are uh, selling reports, and I think it's an important thing that is where there's an increased, I think often we're focused on the social and environmental and not as much on the governance on the G side uh, of the discussion doesn't in, bring that into focus, but I believe there is much greater transparency around executive pay um, and multiples, levels, uh, and, and those. So we're trying to bring transparency, I think, to some of those things. It doesn't really get at, I think, your, your much more important and broader issue of uh, true inequity um, in society, but at least it's, it's taking a stab at the corporate uh, yeah. level. I mean, I, in my travels, I don't think I've seen any uh, inspired leadership in the sort of Anglo-Saxon world from uh, in that regard. But just to mention a company that I have some familiar, familiarity with is the Tata Group in India, uh, sort of the GE of India, if you will. Uh, and, and the family all the way up through the current uh, chairperson who is, who is not a Tata family member have always talked about their business in terms of uh, uh, improving society first, in other words, business is, is there to improve society as opposed to the other way around, which is we have a great business and, oh, by the way, society will be improved. Um, so I'm not sure if I answered your question in terms of metrics, but there's a model perhaps worth looking into uh, that, you know, they, they ultimately hope will be a model for the rest of the world and, and sort of upend the traditional Western uh, view of, of, of big companies, which is shareholders first and everything else comes, comes next. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think um, just building on that, 
I mean, we've definitely seen in emerging markets, you know, there's much more thinking because the urgency to do something is, is absolutely there. I mean, there's a great example with uh, Vedanta Resources, which is uh, a large mining operation. And around five years ago, their main uh, lender, Standard Chartered, said they wouldn't lend them any more money to expand their mining operations because they had no sustainability disclosures, no governance framework, you know, nothing. And they said, you know, the liability they take uh, on the loan was, you know, it wasn't going to be acceptable. And as a result, they put in a whole program. And, and, and this is, I mean, I interviewed the chief sustainability officer a couple of years ago. They feed just around one of their mines they feed 250,000 people a day. I mean, that, that is the scale. So when you start thinking about, you know, let's move things to, you know, a kind of macro level on this and start thinking big, you know, that is what they, they had to do. Um, and I guess, you know, you know, that's the sort of metric that, you know, maybe we should think more about. Perhaps just to, to tie this up, not in a neat bow, because the conversation has is, is got years to carry on going, um, when we look at our collecting well, collective well-being dimensions, this is where we talk about the economic realities as, as well as then also um, your community. And so what are the net-on net impact effects for your business and is it a good place to work? And there are these measures that are, that are out there, but perhaps it's an opportunity to, to really aggregate them all together on your scorecard. And why not think about literacy while we're at it? Why not think about healthcare and reducing um, patient in-care, out-care, prevention? These measures are, must be somewhat available for us to then have that broader perspective to, to solve for. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.